Today we're going to look at this topic of the covenant, and we're going to take a little bit of a journey to explore just how secure we can be in what Jesus did for us. I've got a bit of an extended passage, Hebrews chapter 6, reading for you from the New Living Translation from verse 13. Normally I would read ESV, but today just to enable us to access it a bit more. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. And since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. And then Abraham waited patiently and received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Say that with me. He'll never change his mind. Amen. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie to anyone it's impossible for God to lie to you. Therefore, we, have, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtains into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. What promise are you waiting on? What has God said to you that he is going to do that you're looking around saying, God, I don't know where your answer is coming from. Does it even look like this word could possibly be fulfilled? Let me encourage you, wherever you are on this journey, and I'm on this journey right now myself, every moment is filled with significance. God is working in your heart and in your life to prepare you for the future that he has for you. And each moment you have a decision to make. How are you going to handle your belief in God's promise because he's faithful? Are you going to say, God, I don't want to trust your word anymore? Or are you going to cling to him even when it looks impossible all around you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you've made a covenant with your people. And Lord, we want to increasingly learn to trust you at your word. We need to be secure in who you are. So Father, begin to reveal the idols, the lies, the deceptions, which keep us from trusting you that you are going to bring to fruition that which you have promised in Jesus' name. Covenant. It's a biblical word. We come across it often. Do we all know what it means? Well, let me first lay a few principles out for us. Covenants begin, they originate with God. God is the first one to make a promise to mankind. We didn't impose our view of covenant on him, he gave it to us. And in the biblical narrative concerning covenant, it is the binding together of two parties, often non-equal parties, in an enduring, transcendent commitment. Now, I thought this definition was really interesting. I found it on a, a lawyer's website, but it's helpful for highlighting the difference for us, upcouncil.com, just to make sure that I'm quoting properly. The difference between covenant and contract is evident when someone breaks either one of the agreements. A contract is invalid when one of the involved parties violates it. 
On the other hand, a covenant remains intact, even if one of the parties breach it. While covenants are a type of contract, they are not treated the same, nor are they built on the same premise. Here are some fundamental differences. While a contract is legally binding, a covenant is a spiritual pledge. A contract is an agreement between parties, while a covenant is a pledge. A covenant is an agreement you can break, while a sorry a contract is an agreement you can break, while a covenant is a perpetual promise. A contract is a mutually beneficial relationship, while a covenant is something that the other fulfills. A contract exchanges one good for another, while a covenant gives oneself to the other. You can opt out of a contract while a covenant is. Is about uh, you can opt out of a contract, while a covenant is about having the strength to hold up your part of the promise. When you think about these aspects of the difference between contract and covenant, we begin to see that there is something almost transcendent about the nature of a covenant. It goes beyond the nature of humanity, where we love "I scratch your back, you scratch my back" types of relationships. And the nature of a covenant within a biblical context is: these are made between God and us, and you can only upgrade a covenant in the context of scriptures, not abrogate them. Now, that definition. Let's set it aside for just a few minutes, and let's have a little bit of a journey of thinking. Let's start with the idea of man's word, and when I say man, I mean humanity. Ladies, men, we are all called to be people of our word. Have you ever heard the phrase "Your word is your bond"? How are you doing with that? How's our commitment to our word? Here's just an example. We need to pay attention to the power and meaning of words, and to be sure as to what we are saying when we use certain words in our vocabulary. I want to focus in on a little word, "just." Have you ever used the word "just"? In the biblical narrative, just used was used to describe someone who's righteous, someone who makes wise decisions in any given context. We use just in a slightly different way in our normal language. How about this, Lord? I really just pray, Lord. We just ask that you would come, Lord. If you would just do this one thing for me. That word "just" suddenly takes on a whole different meaning. Actually, it's orphan language. It diminishes God. Don't ever just God. I'm working so hard to eradicate it from my prayer life. I hope you do so as well, because He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also graciously give us all things? Lord, will you just hear my prayer? It's begging God. Rather, God, thank you for the privilege that I can pray. Lord, would would you just come? Lord, thank you that your promise is that you'd manifest your presence. Lord, would you, would you just do this for me? It's so small, Lord. You've got all the power in the world, and you can do whatever you want. I'm just making a small, tiny request. No, God, thank you that you are the one that is working all things together for the good of those that love you. Don't just God, dignify God. Recognize that He is gracious beyond measure. Thank you, Lord, that you are in my life. Thank you that you're working on my behalf. Thank you that you hear me when I come to you. 
We've arrived at this problem. Uh, this problem goes on when we then think about how seriously people take us at our words. Our use of words have led into problems because we make promises we can't keep. We set out agendas that we have no power to execute. We say one thing and then we do another. We don't keep our word. And in not keeping our word, we diminish ourselves. And Jesus corrected this with his powerful teaching, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Why? Because for us to believe ourselves, we kept saying, well, I'll, 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 I swear by uh, uh, the House of Parliament. Okay, now I'll go beyond. I swear by the crown jewels. Uh, uh, I swear by my mother's grave. What is that about? I swear by the heavens, I swear by the earth, I swear by all these things because I need to convince myself that I'm really going to do for you what I say I'm going to do. And this is the rocky foundation in which we believe that we can set out covenants as mankind. So we try our best to come up with increasingly complex systems to prove that we're going to do something. You know, in the biblical terms, the way that you would establish a covenant is this. You would, two of parties would bring a bag of salt each, or sand. And as you make the covenant, you open up these bags, you mix it all up, mix all the sand or mix all the salt up, and then separate them into the two bags. And you make the statement, the day that someone can return the, two, uh, the salt to the other or the sand to the other, that's the day that we can break this covenant. Is that really the only thing that's going to cause you to break the covenant? Our weakened humanity is going to cause us to break any covenant. And in this context, we struggle. We say things that we want to be true, and yet they don't always come true. And sometimes we make promises. And I want to say to you, please be really careful about what you promise God. Don't take lightly the things you say before God or before man. And if you're saying things to man, please honor them in private because God knows and God sees. Here's a few examples. God, if you heal me, I will serve you with all of my life. God, if you touch so-and-so's life, I will give all of my belongings to praise you. If you give me my life partner, we will serve you together, God. Just as I say that, God's waiting on some of you. He's waiting on some of you because you've made big promises and he's not going to let you go off those things. But it's not to bring condemnation on you. Rather, it's to say in that moment, in that moment of Desperation, in that moment of crying out to God, you knew the highest possible purpose of your life was to give your life to God. And I want to call you to remember that commitment that you made to God because He will never, ever let you down as you walk with Him. And in our current context, we need to weigh this because our word doesn't mean very much today unless we learn to steward it and cherish it. In, in Psalm 15, verse 4 the narrative around a promise given by a man is this. He who swears to his own hurt and doesn't change. Jephthah is a foolish example of this. Jephthah promised God, if you let me win, the first thing that comes out of my, life, out of my house, I will give as a sacrifice to you. And as he wins this battle, he comes home, his daughter comes out to greet him. He knew that he would have to fulfill his covenant to his own hurt. But he didn't change. It was a foolish commitment, but he understood that his word before God meant something profound. And we're called to become a people of our word and to hold to what God has, to what we've promised before God. And so man can make these 
bilateral arrangements, agreements between men, and often the challenge is, can we fulfill it? But let's think a bit about God's covenant. As I said before, God is the originator of covenant. He is the one who showed what it is to commit. Now, let's ask a question. If man makes a, if humanity, one person makes a commitment to another, that's a bilateral arrangement. When God is making a covenant, who does he make the covenant with? Himself. In the passage that we read, he said, because I couldn't think of anyone greater, I promised on the basis of who I am. I wasn't coming to make this covenant on the basis of how you're doing, because let's be honest, we're humans, we fail, we fall. If any covenant that God made with us was dependent on us, we wouldn't make it very, very far. Rather, it says, I made a promise by myself. And so while we try to say, my word is my bond, when God says it, it is so much more. In fact, Psalm 138 says this, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. It is God's dignity, it is God's honour, it is God's character that he upholds his word. His word isn't the same as ours. Ours might have endurance for a few moments, a few days, a few, uh, a few weeks, a few years, but God's word spans all of this present temporary reality right to the edge of the cosmos and beyond the edge of the cosmos into eternity. He has the power to fulfill his word from the beginning all the way through to the end. And in this context where God makes a covenant with himself, he invites us to be beneficiaries. He invites us to be people that benefit from his promise to himself. Do you want to be a beneficiary of God? Do you want to sit deeper in your trust that it's his nature, not our nature, that secures us? That's one of the challenges. Let me just say a brief side note here that this is what the covenant of marriage is intended to reflect. We are called to reveal the glory of God. And so the covenant of marriage is intended to, by the grace of God, reflect God's commitment between two people. And we're called to reach for that. I'm conscious in a room like this that there are people that are divorced, widowed, single, married, on your third or fourth marriage, all of these various options. But if we can catch a revelation of what a covenant is and begin to commit to that, let's say it this way, there is no plan B with God. And so we see God making a series of covenants in Scripture, for example, with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David. And he's made a covenant with us. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here in this passage, this covenant of what God would do the day that Jesus gave his life for us, the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out for us is a reflection of what God is doing. God has invited every single one of us to participate in his new covenant. And I mentioned to you earlier this idea that you can only upgrade covenants in a biblical narrative. Why did we need a new covenant? Because the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the if you fulfill my laws and statutes, then you will uh, receive of me my blessing. Humanity couldn't fulfill that on its own terms until Jesus did what he did as our righteous substitute. 
And so God's covenants are very different to man's covenants. He holds his word. We fail our word. He makes it on the basis of himself. We need to reach for things beyond ourselves um, in order to try and assure us that we're going to do something about it. But let's look back to that statement I made right at the beginning, that Jesus embodies the covenant. It would all be lovely for me to say all of this stuff without some historical, tangible evidence to reach back to. And in Scripture, we see this verse, John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Covenants are about binding people together. Here, the very Word of God, Jesus Christ, is permanently bound into our humanity, into our human flesh. He dignifies humanity. He calls us His creation. He identifies with us in incredible, incredible ways. And as we think now of Easter coming, we look then to what Jesus accomplished at the end of his life. He sits down for a meal. He shares with his disciples what's going to happen. And as he's taking communion, just as we have done today, he says these words, this is my body, which I've given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus assured the new covenant status for every one of us the day he shed his blood for us. And every time we come to communion, we are remembering the promise that echoes through eternity towards our lives, that God is for us. And in this context, he is therefore positioned to be the maker of the new covenant. Now, Having said all this, it's a bit theological, but I want to bring it down to brass tacks for you and for me. How deep is this covenant? We talked at the beginning of the shallowness of the use of our words like just and how we don't always take them seriously. But how deep can we go in trusting the covenant that Christ has made with us? The moment you gave your life to Christ, and perhaps you're on the journey here today, perhaps you walked into church and you think, what's this guy talking about? And I can try to break it down in more simple language one-on-one if you want to have a chat later on. But um, the moment you gave your life to Christ, he bonds himself to you in a way, he binds himself to you in a way which transforms your eternity. In the same way that he entered humanity and is permanently bound in humanity, he has committed himself to you. Your salvation never really depended on your own capacity anyway, but you've become a beneficiary of his covenant the moment you said, yes, Jesus, I need you in my life. And what benefits did you get? He gave you eternal life. He blesses you with a relationship with the living God. And he has a commitment to you to save you to the uttermost. In Romans 8, 37, it says this, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor heights nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We live and act in the context of his covenant. 
And the deeper you go in God's word, you'll find him to be faithful. Sometimes we judge God as not fulfilling his promises because all we can do is go off what we know by what we can see, our limited knowledge, and by how we often feel in a situation. But we're not aware of all that he is, all that he knows, all that he's doing. So when you are in the depth of sin, maybe you got set free from a sin, a pattern of life, a lifestyle, a behavior that you have recently been flirting with once again. You've re-engaged with it in a way where it's gripping you and it's gripping hold of your heart. And you're saying, God, I don't want to lose my salvation, but I love this sin, but I don't want to lose my salvation, but I really want to keep going deeper with this. Where does God's covenant stop? It doesn't stop at the place where he says, you shouldn't be doing that. It doesn't even stop in the place of conviction. He goes with you all the way into the depth of your sin and says, you know what? in the place of darkness, in the place where you feel totally alone, I'm still with you. I have still committed to you. I have still covenanted with you. When you're facing personal challenges, your boss is trying to get you fired. Your colleagues are trying to get promoted over you. He is still with you. When your enemy is trying to tear your life apart, he has covenanted with you. When you think you want to walk away from him, he will go with you every single step of the way. When you accuse God for not upholding his end of the deal, he has committed more than you have committed. When man plots against you as though his word has power, God is for you and not against you. His word is the eternal word that has power over your circumstances. And even if it looks like he's letting people attack you, it's because he's working in you for a greater glory. The Bible says that he loves, he chastens those he loves. He, if he's chastening you, it's because he loves you and wants to see fullness brought out of you. Sometimes we measure our place our spirituality by our circumstances. Rather, we should measure what is going on inside as a response to our circumstances of what God is doing. And so, when we find ourselves in the depths, when we find ourselves wrestling with faith, when we find ourselves saying, God, are you even there? Do you still love me? Am I still saved? Dignify His covenant. Dignify means to give it its due worth. His word has been spoken over your life. Father, I thank you that I can trust your word. I thank you that when I'm faithless, you are faithful. I thank you that you can and do forgive me and you never ever forsake me. I thank you that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I need fear no evil. Right where you are today, I want to encourage you to separate yourself from this contract that you're in. God, I'll keep this standard as long as you keep your end of the deal. I want you to run away from that. I want you to fully throw that pile of junk in the bin because it's not going to get you anywhere. It's called religion. Covenant is when you believe God at his word, when you trust him. And when you find yourselves in those situations where you might doubt, you choose not to doubt. Where you find yourselves in those situations where you might manipulate or maneuver things to make things work your way. When you try to do things in your own strength, surrender all of that and say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my entire weight into the power of your word. David said it like this, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O Lord. My soul knows it very well. How do we respond today? There is no other king that could save you. There is no other king that is so committed to you that in life or death, he died for you. And in your death, he will live for you. There is no other king that has made promises where we can trust our entire weight, the weight of our present, future, and even our past to him because the weight of his substance, his work, his promise, his word to you is so secure. Dignify God. Dignify God with the correct words that you say about him and his covenant. Recognize him for who he is. He is. 